Hello everyone, Tony here from the Coin Club Podcast. Just wanted to let you know that I use Mint Mobile for my mobile phone service provider. I recently switched and couldn't be more happy with the service that I have and the coverage. I urge you to check it out for yourself. Their easy to use website has a coverage estimator to show you how strong the signal will be in your location. No more guessing that it might be a good switch for you before you end up choosing a different carrier. They have an easy to understand plan structure and they actively try to save you money if you buy a plan that you don't need. That's right, you heard that right. A cell provider looking out for your best interest. Well, please, do me a favor, check them out and use my promo code when you sign up for Mint Mobile. I'll get some free Mint and if you use the promo code, you get a $15 credit to your account as well. Ryan Reynolds made everything easy with Mint Mobile except the referral code. So please check it out in the show notes and use that link, sign up, support the show, and get a credit for your new Mint account as well. Welcome to The Coin Club, a podcast brought to you by the Seven House Coins Currency Bullion, where we discuss everything related to numismatics. I'm glad to have you along with me for my journey and excited to share with you the very best of numismatics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the Coin Club podcast. We've reached our first milestone with many, many more to come. I just want to say a heartfelt thank you to everyone who has been following along and helping to spread the word. It sounds cliche, but I really couldn't have done it without you. There is a lot of history here with creating this for you, and I'll share a little bit with you now as we enjoy each other's company. I've always wanted to be a content creator of some sort basically only in the coin community. However, I got my inspiration and direction through some other avenues as well. Many people out there have concerns that if they share their secrets, how they do things, or where they got their inspiration from, that someone is going to come along and produce something better than you do. Bigger, more enjoyable, and that very well could be the case. Worrying about these things can give you decision paralysis and cause those big dreams and inspirations to wallow in their own demise. That's where I was stuck at for a long time. I never really left the realm of coin collecting, but when I got back into it very heavily, I started to watch a lot of YouTube. I thought that was the avenue that I was going to take. I looked into what it would take to start up a YouTube channel and how I would film it. Would the video show my face, or would I be a voice only? My favorite coin forum website is Cointalk. The folks on there are not very fond of YouTube creators, so there was that also. Blue Ridge Silverhound, JB Coins, Treasure Town, Quinn's Coins, and The Silver Picker were on my list of shows that I watched regularly. I saw how they got better and better over time with their production, their subscription numbers went through the roof, and as much of an inspiration as it was to see that, it kept me from starting. How could I ever compete with someone who had tens of thousands of subscribers? Shortly after YouTube, I found the Coin Show podcast with Mike and Matt. Later, the Coin Week podcast with host Charles Morgan, and later adding Chris Bullfinch, and then most recently finding the Coin World podcast with hosts Jeff Stark and Larry Jewett. 
actually, this is where Chris Bullfinch originated from as well. The common thing here is many followers, many episodes, and they were all well-established. Well, with listening to all this content on YouTube and all of the podcasts, I was also listening to a couple other content creators as well. It started with Kevin David. This guy started out working a regular job, like so many of us, and through a ton of hard work and ambition, he made a successful business with Amazon, a YouTube channel with over 1.3 million subscribers, and he also has a podcast that I check out regularly. Next, I found a guy named Ben Levitt. He is a very positive, upbeat individual who helps others with their social media and marketing techniques. I follow him regularly and from the early days of his YouTube channel. Sorry, Ben, when I went on tonight, I looked for your latest episode and it wasn't there. I wasn't a subscriber. So I hit that subscribe button, but I promise I was with you from the very beginning. Lastly, but certainly not least, Katie Steckley. She is another entrepreneur who guides you through creating and marketing and navigating the world of social media. So you're saying to yourself, Tony, where are you going with this? These three people were the push that I needed to start what I've always wanted to do today. They have all had the same advice, maybe not worded the same, but the advice was still the same. Just do what you want to do. Start it and get better and better with each time you create, but just start. Everyone, everywhere had to start with their very first episode, the very first YouTube clip, the first print article. Those 1 million subscriber channels started with their very first episode and went from there and got better and strive for more with each production they made. With my current obligations, I decided that a podcast would be the best way for me to do this, do what I wanted to do, and guess what I did? I took their advice and just did it. I guess I can directly credit Ben Levitt with that push to just start as his link for Buzzsprout and the positive influence of all the people I've mentioned above were glaringly obvious. I hit that subscribe button on Buzzsprout and on March 8th, 2021, the Coin Club podcast came to be. I'll echo that advice that was given to me and whatever you choose to do, just start it. Begin your journey and don't let the decision paralysis keep you from doing what you love. There will always be someone who has more subscribers than you, better productions, better content, but just start with the goal that you will get better with each and everything that you do. This advice can be for anything in your life, your numismatic collections, your job, your family, make it fit for you, but just start. Back to the point I made earlier about giving out secrets to your success. What I've learned in my many years in the business world, the fire department, and the numismatic community is that your success can be gauged on how well you set up others to succeed. In life, but in this instance in numismatics, you will always find someone who can produce something better, who is smarter and has more knowledge, and someone who has a better collection than you do. However, this community is well known for actively seeking out the chance to share, teach, and mentor those in the community of numismatics. I love to create, I love to inspire, but what I love the most is to help others and set them up for success in whatever they want to do. If I inspire the next podcaster in the community and they become better than me, well, then I couldn't be happier that I played a little part in that. When you make others successful, you in turn will reap the benefits. Help that 12-year-old young numismatist start their collection. Mentor them on where to start. Chat it up with that 50-year-old who just got into the hobby because they may have stumbled upon the Coin Club podcast and set them in the right direction and make sure that you are a good steward to the hobby for generations to come.
You won't hear much chat on her about politics or religion in terms of modern day, but I do have a strong, strong passion for progress and being a good steward of the world we live in so that we can continue to collect coins of old and new and enjoy this hobby we love so much together. Thank you, friends, for 10 great episodes, one building off the other, for your camaraderie and your ears. Here's to many, many more episodes of the Coin Club podcast. Please continue to help me grow by sharing this with your friends, mentioning me on your favorite coin forum, and posting on social media. Continue to email me and direct message me with your feedback and suggestions. I'm so thankful for you all. Okay, if you're still with me, let's get on with the news. The release of the last 2021 Morgan Dollars and the 2021 Peace Dollar went off without a hitch. (laughs) If you believe that one, I'll tell you another. I was able to get the last four releases in this 100th anniversary offering. However, I will say that the first two went totally fine. I got my coins, put them in the cart, paid, and I even got a confirmation email within, I'd say, probably 15 minutes. No glitches, no having to refresh or hit the back button. The last two offerings, which included the peace dollar, were the exact opposite. I had error messages, I had to refresh, multiple issues, and about 10 minutes fighting to get the two coins, which made for a very anxiety-ridden purchase. I'm not entirely sure how the Mint can fix this, shy of not setting their minage limits and minting to demand. It's very rewarding and a sense of success when you're able to get the issue that you want from the Mint that you're craving. However, it is extremely frustrating if you're on the other end of the spectrum. Which, might I add, there are more who are dissatisfied than who are satisfied. One coin for your collection, and you can't get it. Over and over and over again, and that is the repeating record. I don't have an answer for the Mint, but I know that they need to lean on the numismatic community and figure this one out. I say this because if the Mint truly is not trying to create a scarcity by restricting mintage numbers, then they must look at the bigger picture. They are telling us that the limits this year is due to the pandemic and the shortage of silver planchets. However, I really don't buy it. I remember standing in line at the Baltimore Whitman Expo to purchase a 2019 San Francisco minted Silver Eagle Enhanced Reverse Proof. Low, low mintage on this one, and much coveted by collectors and flippers alike. The line was slow going, and we were all chatting amongst each other to pass the time. I'm sensing I'm going off on a tangent here, but please listen to this experience. Just being the observant person that I am, I'm listening to the conversation in front of me, and from what I could gather, the two well-dressed men in front of me were dealers. They had their show credentials around their neck, and everything seemed fine at that point. About 20 minutes later, a male comes from outside of the line and starts chatting it up with the two purported dealers that were in front of me. I still didn't think anything of it. I thought this guy probably had to go to the bathroom, and he left the line and came back. Well, give him the benefit of the doubt. The people in front of me and in back of me must have been more observant than I, and they started to raise their voice and their concern to start to complain that this guy was cutting the line. Not more than five minutes later, I see this car pull up to the curb, and a very well-dressed young lady steps out and starts walking to the crew in front of me and parks her rear end in the line in front of everyone. By this time, everyone knew what was going on. They were flippers, cutting the line and expecting that nobody was going to say a word about it. While the people in back of me were more vocal than I, which I do regret now, and they called the two new additions to the Eagle line out, 
Excuse after excuse from those two new additions to the line spewed from their degenerate mouths, and they had the gall to stand there for the remainder of the wait. True line-cutting scum. If you're pissed off at this point, friends, here comes your sanctity and redemption. <laughs> well, we got to the front of the line, well, four to the front to be truthful, and the two shady dealers who let these degenerates in line went through, and as soon as the cutters got to the front and were ready to get their ticket from the minifficial to go get that low minage eagle, here come the security from the Baltimore Whitman Show. One of them was an acquaintance from my real coin club that I belong to, and I know as a police officer from a precinct close to Baltimore. They were made aware of the line cutters somehow, and they allowed them to stand in line for close to an hour. When they got to the front, hand ready to get that ticket to a guaranteed S-minted 2019 enhanced reverse proof American Silver Eagle, the cops showed up and pulled them from the line. They protested, were loud, yelled nasty things to everybody in the line and the cops, and then they left with the police officers and the rest of us jubilant out there for their removal, but dare I say more jubilant that they knew what was happening and allowed them to wait for an hour and then remove them from the line. I got the coin, one of the last few at the Baltimore Whitman show that year, and at this point I understood what could have happened and what did happen. You were either on the elated side of things or the extremely shut out, the extremely disappointed side. In my personal opinion, the Mint should not be in business to create rarities based on production numbers. They should mint on a basis of demand for the collector. It will eliminate the flipper market, and in the very end, it will enable more coins to be sold, sending more money to their bottom line, which benefits the American people as a whole. A solution to this frustration needs to be in the works, and all I see is more and more limited minages. Time to step up to the plate, U.S. Mint, and get your act together for the collectors who keep those machines cranking out the coins we all love. Either that or the mounting numbers of frustrated clients who are vehement cash users convert to plastic and inevitably put you out of business. Time for change, folks. Let's write them in and give them suggestions on how to make this mishmash better. Alright, with all that drama behind us, let's look at the newest releases from the Mint between now and the next episode of the Coin Club Podcast. August 17th, we'll see the release of the 2.5-ounce United States Coast Guard Silver Medal minted at the Philadelphia Mint. Measuring in at 2 inches in diameter, this coin is stunning as it depicts a Coast Guard National Security Cutter at full throttle cutting through the waves of the ocean. U.S. Coast Guard and the motto Semper Paratus appear on the obverse of the coin. Truly an exemplary coin and one I would be proud to put in my collection. The offering price is $160. August 19th will be the American Liberty High Relief Gold Coin and on August 24th the American Eagle 2021 1-ounce Silver Reverse Proof 2 Coin Set Designer Edition will be released. This one will feature the old design and the new design of the Eagles. This one is sure to be another popular release. That's all for the U.S. Mint. Until the next episode, let me know how you make out. PCGS has announced some pretty big news with the addition of Stephanie Sabine as their interim president. Previously, she held the role of chief of staff and will run the company until a permanent president is named. She has been with PCGS for 15 years and brings a wealth of knowledge to the role. She was directly involved with opening their foreign offices, and she wants to make sure that there is a smooth transition while finding a new president for PCGS. Along with this announcement, they have made some key new hires and promotions from within. Justin Atkins will be the Director of Price Guide and CCE. 
Victor Bozarth will be the new price guide editor. Samantha Dark was announced as the senior events manager. Ryan Hogue will be the chief product officer and Chris DeMarey as the director of sales. Congratulations to all of them and best wishes on this new journey. Witter Coin of San Francisco, California has announced that they have sold the second finest known 1927D St. Gaudens Double Eagle Gold Coin for an astounding $3,090,000. If you are a follower on Instagram, you will know that Witter Coin just recently held a week-long all-expenses-paid class for a select few young numismatists. They're doing good things over there for the hobby, so check them out on Instagram. Okay, everyone, for the World Coin Spotlight, we're going to head over to the tiny country of Liechtenstein to the company CIT, or Coin Investment Trust. They have minted a coin that caught my eye, and I wanted to share it with you. The 2021 Palau 3-ounce Silver Tiffany Art Metropolis, Paris. You all know I love Paris, so I thought I'd share this one with you. On the obverse of the coin, you will see a bridge I walked over, strolled over, admired, and gawked at. The Pont Alexander III. The coin itself shows the bridge in all its glory. However, you really should see it for yourself in person. It is adorned with gold leaf, and at night it's lit with an array of lanterns gracing the bridge. It also shows on the obverse the Palau coat of arms and reads Paris. On the reverse of the coin, you will see a very detailed image of Paris as seen from above. It points out the Seine River running through the coin with the gorgeous Tiffany glass. The Arc de Triomphe, the Eiffel Tower, and Notre Dame are all pictured on the coin as well. It is a 3-ounce, 999 fine silver coin with a total worldwide mintage of only 999 coins. Talk about low mintage. The focus on the last two episodes of the Coin Club podcast has been on the mints that have graced the United States with coinage since its inception. Today is no different. We'll round out the last of the tours on the two remaining active mints in the United States. By far, not the least important by any stretch of the imagination. We'll take a look at the San Francisco Mint and the West Point Mint. The San Francisco Mint was established in 1854 to serve, you guessed it, the needs of the nation from the California gold rush. With all those miners and speculators finding gold, there needed to be some place for it to all go. The U.S. government opened the original San Francisco Mint and in the first year alone emitted an astounding $4 million of gold bullion into coins. The volume that this mint saw quickly outpaced its ability to keep up and in 1874, the completion of what we affectionately refer to today as the Granite Lady took place. The majority of the building is made of sandstone, however the base was made of granite, giving us the nickname we hold so dear today. It was designed by Alfred B. Mullet in a Greek Revival style. The focus was on the central portico of the building, and it has two wings gracing the sides. There is an enclosed courtyard which also housed a well. Why do you think I mentioned that there was a well in the courtyard, you might ask? Well, in 1906, you might remember a newsworthy event. There was a huge earthquake in San Fran that destroyed most of the city. This well fed most of the building with water via a steam pump. If it weren't for that well, the steam pump and the valiant effort of about 50 of the officers and employees who braved their own well-being to get to the mint, the building would have been lost like so many others. They fought the fire from early morning until late afternoon. Parts of the sandstone structure blew up. That's what sandstone does when it gets heated to great temperatures. 
plate glass windows melted, sash and window frames burned up, and the roof also caught on fire. The United States Mint in San Fran was the only financial institution left intact after the earthquake thanks to those dedicated employees, a well, and a steam pumper. The Mint became the treasury and depository for all those banks who were left in ruins at the time until they could resume business on their own. In the dismal situation that surrounded the Mint, the electrician was able to improvise and turn one of the Mint's big motors into an electric generator, lighting the Mint and surrounding streets after the fire. That well we talked about that saved the Mint? Well, it saved thousands of people as well and provided clean drinking water for many, many residents around them at the time. At this time, the entire Mint staff was involved with the recovery, reconstruction, and security of the Mint. Typical job duties were thrown out the window at this time. Mint employees secured food, means to cook it, and provided meals to all those who were working. On their off time, they provided security and also handled the great sums of money being moved within the building. Soon after the cleanup efforts, the Mint continued to do what it did best and serve the United States with its coinage until 1937. In 1961, the Old Mint became a historic national landmark. You were allowed to visit the Old Mint up until 1993, and in 2003 it was sold to the city of San Francisco for $1. The Mint was to be repurposed into a grand structure hosting many events for years to come. The new San Francisco Mint was opened in 1937 and has produced circulating coinage off and on for some years. In 1955, there was a lull in production for some 13 years. It was a United States assay office from 1962 to 1968. In 1968, the Mint resumed production and it produced most of the proof coinage for the country. 1968 to 1974 saw a breath of life back into circulating coinage production, but only for that short period of time. There are a few exceptions to that statement. The Susan B. Anthony dollar was minted here, early 80s production of Lincoln cents, which these had no mint mark and were undistinguishable from their Philadelphia counterparts, and circulation strikes of the S-minted ATB quarters. Very few people are allowed to tour the new building, However, in 1987, for its 50th anniversary, they opened its doors to a limited number of people to view the building and its works. 1937. Remember that date? The date that Granite Lady closed its doors for good. Well, that day was shared with the West Point Mint as the date of their official opening. The West Point Mint is primarily used as a production and depository facility. Back in 37, when they first opened their doors, they were used as a deposit for silver bullion. They garnered the nickname the Fort Knox of Silver. Officially, this facility gained mint status on March 31, 1988. Prior to this, they produced Lincoln cents from 1974 to 1986. Just like the San Fran mint, no W mint mark was placed on these coins and they were indistinguishable from their Philadelphia counterparts. With the need for Washington quarters far exceeding the capacity of the other two mints, the West Point Mint stepped up and made Washington quarters from 1977 to 79. The 80s saw an increase in storage of gold at this facility. They were responsible for approximately $20 billion worth of gold. Seems crazy, right? Fort Knox is our gold facility, I thought. Well, yeah, it still is. However, the West Point Mint stored far less gold than Fort Knox, but the nation leaned on them to help out through the 80s. 
The very first mint mark from the West Point Mint graced the obverse of a $10 gold coin, which was the commemorative 1984 Los Angeles Olympic coin. One more interesting fact that you might not know is that with this being the first coin bearing the W mint mark, it also is the first gold coin with legal tender status since 1933. If, by the way, you know what that last gold coin was in 33, email me and let me know. Take a guess. Today, the West Point Mint produces American Eagle coins in silver and gold, uncirculated bullion coins in silver, gold, and platinum, as well as commemorative coins. Special issues of coins have also been made here over the years. You may recognize them, and for the simple reason that they are coveted in the world of numismatics due to their low, low mintages. 1996 saw the W-minted Roosevelt dime. 2014 was a reverse-proof silver Kennedy half-dollar and a 24-karat gold-proof Kennedy half-dollar. 2015 saw the second W-minted dime, as well as production of Sacagawea dollars as part of the American coin and currency set. 2019 saw the first production of cents at this facility with an actual W-mint mark. An uncirculated cent, a proof cent, and a reverse proof cent were also minted here. Starting in 2019, the ATB Quarter Program announced that they would have 10 million quarters minted with the W mint mark. In 2020, quarters with the V Privy mint mark were minted here for the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. We've seen a lot of specialized activity at this mint location over the years, and today is no different. They continue to grace us with special mintages and store a good bit of gold on location. They do have silver at this facility, however, the volume of silver stored is only based on minting demand they face in the near future. With all this going on, the facility does not give tours and is heavily guarded. It sits on four acres of land in West Point, New York. The building was remodeled in 2005 to add a second story, but it is about as bland as they come for an outside of any United States mint. Its walls don't have any distinguishing features to them, and it has a flat roof. Well, everyone, once again, I'm very glad to have you along with me for this episode of the Coin Club Podcast. It was a special one, as it is the 10th episode, and I hope to have many, many more and have you along with me for the journey. Remember to always go after what you want in life with a fervor and keep your head up along that journey. Thank you so much, and I hope to have you along with me on the next episode of the Coin Club Podcast. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Coin Club Podcast. I had a great time with you and look forward to sharing with you on the next episode. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting me on Patreon at the Coin Club Podcast. Please follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook at the Seven House Coins Currency Bullion and also on Instagram at the same name. You can also go to my website, sevenhousecb.com, and give me some feedback on this episode or some suggestions on what you would like to see in future episodes. As always, I'm grateful to all of you for your support and look forward to seeing you the next time on the Coin Club Podcast.